0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we're in 2 Timothy and we're in chapter 2. And uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, in chapter 1, because we kind of want to back up there for just a few moments, in chapter 1, Paul, as he's, this is one of Paul's prison letters, and uh, Paul is in prison. Uh, in Rome, this is the second time that he's in prison. The first time uh, that he was in prison in Rome, he was under house arrest. He was uh chained to a guard and he was able to receive visitors and then he was released at some point and rearrested later and It's quite possibly after the burning of Rome. this time he's not uh, in his own rented home he's in a dungeon in a prison dungeon uh, uh the uh People, historians think it was quite possibly the Mamertine prison. Um, Charges are not revealed in scriptures. We don't know why he was rearrested. It could be related to the burning of Rome. But we do know that at this point, Christianity is pretty much a crime. Being associated with Paul is, is very dangerous, and uh paul here is realizing his death is imminent and so he pens this last epistle and it's his last epistle to timothy and his last epistle that he wrote that we know of anyways um and uh paul will by church history we find out that he'll be beheaded shortly after this time here in prison so um his his you know his realization that his death was imminent wasn't you know he wasn't it was real and it actually in, did in fact happen Back in chapter 1, so, Paul recalls Timothy's genuine faith—you know—it's genuine. It's not—it's not fake. It's not hypocritical. And he he remembers that, uh, you know, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother. What great women of faith! And they instilled in Timothy a love for God. And Timothy became a born again believer. And uh, he reminds Timothy to stir up that gift of God which is in him. Uh, They had laid hands on him there and uh, in where he was from Lystra, and uh, and so. Tim, uh, Paul is just trying to remind Timothy, hey, strip that gift. And so we talked about last week, it's, it's possible for you to have your gifts and, and, and for them to lay dormant because you don't use your gifts. And so this is why Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. He's also encouraging Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of Paul who is in prison. And he encourages Timothy to share with him in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He also urges Timothy to hold fast the pattern of sound words that he had heard from Paul. And he tells Timothy to keep the good thing that was committed to him by the Holy Spirit who dwells in him. So he's just really trying to build up Timothy. And uh, he then relates at the end of chapter 1 to Timothy how his associates in Rome, and he mentions them by name so Timothy must have knew them, uh, how his associates in Rome had left him. And scriptures only tells us why one of them left him, and we'll talk about him later. His name is Demas. Uh, The others were not really told why they left, but it quite possibly could be for fear of suffering, Uh, because again, being associated with Paul was just not a very safe thing in that climate there in Rome at that time. And finally, at the end of chapter 1, he mentions Anisiphorus. And uh, now, Anisiphorus wasn't ashamed of the prisoner of Paul. In fact, that's why Paul just mentions him. He zealously looked for Paul in prison. He reminds Timothy how Anisiphorus ministered to Paul back in Ephesus, and so this Anisophorus had quite a reputation of just being a, just a just a, a, a servant of the Lord, and uh, ministering to Paul. And as Paul is relating to about Anisophorus in this letter he mentions the household of Anisiphorus. He doesn't mention Anisiphorus like greet Anisiphorus. He says, greet the household Anisiphorus and and may may the Lord bless the house of Anisiphorus, things like that. It seems to indicate that Anisiphorus had died. Now, Paul wrote that Anisiphorus had came and sought him out there in prison, there in Rome. So we know that he was alive at that point, but it seems to indicate that sometime after that, Anisiphorus had lost his life, and it quite possibly could be as a result of being associated with Paul the prisoner at Rome. Now, we know from history that Timothy was younger than Paul. We also know from scriptures that he had problems with being timid. I mean, Paul was always encouraging Timothy there. Be strong, be bold, you know, things like that. Uh, We know that Timothy had health issues, quite possibly stress-related, although I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but it could very well be. Um, He had taken over for Paul at Ephesus. And if you could imagine taking over for the Apostle Paul in his ministry, uh, you know, there probably was some very high expectations placed on Timothy at uh, Ephesus. And Timothy undoubtedly felt that that expectation. And and Timothy undoubtedly felt ill-equipped. I'm sure he felt less charismatic than Paul, his predecessor. And not only that, but he had these physical ailments. So he felt limited, or he was limited in what he could do because he was always getting sick. And so Paul here knows that his own race is almost completed. I mean Paul what a what a life that Paul's lived. He's run his course. He's finished his his work. He's fought the good fight. But he realizes young Timothy man, he's got a ways to go. He's got a life ahead of him uh, of hardship and and uh challenges and triumphs and everything. And so Paul here is trying to pour into Timothy as much as he possibly can. And so now here in chapter 2 verse 1 he tells Timothy, you therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now the form of the verb uh, means or indicates to keep on being strong. And he says be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now if you think about Paul You know, Paul wasn't an intellectual weakling. Paul was uh, very smart. He was very intelligent. He studied under the great rabbi Gamaliel. And so he was a very intelligent guy. He could run circles probably around a lot of the other apostles and probably around a lot of the other Pharisees. Um, Paul was not emotionally weak. I mean, think about this. Over the course of his ministry, he had been ran out of town so many times. They had stoned him and left him for dead. Uh, he had been falsely accused of things. He had survived attempts on his life. He had been deserted and left alone. You can imagine, Paul probably had developed a kind of a tough skin. And if you're in ministry, man, that's one thing you need is a tough skin because you're going to get disappointed. You're going to get, things are going to happen in ministry. And so Paul probably had a tough skin. He was not emotionally weak. Paul was also not fearful. I mean, think about it. He had been shipwrecked more than once in the ocean. Um, And uh, he had been bitten by a snake. If you don't like snakes, he had been bitten by a snake. Uh, He had survived that. Uh, He had faced governors, kings, rulers, even the high priest, um, he had learned to go without and be content with what he had. And so, so Paul wasn't afraid of what would happen or what could happen to him. Paul was the kind of strong, fearless person that, you know, if I think about it, wouldn't we all like to portray ourselves like the Apostle Paul? I'm not afraid of anything, man. And, you know, and, and uh, I can I can argue with the best of them and all that. We'd like to portray that to people if we could. Well, at least I would anyways. I'd like to pretend that I'm really a strong guy and stuff. But, you know there was one area where Paul was weak. One area. With all of Paul's strengths, it would have been very easy for him to have become prideful. And God knew that, so God allowed Paul to have a thorn in the flesh. And it was something that the Lord would not remove from Paul's life. It was something that forced Paul to rely on the Lord alone to make it through. And, uh, Most historians think it was some sort of physical impairment, quite possibly related to his eyesight. We don't really know, scripture doesn't tell us, but there's some hints but whatever it was it was something that was just i mean he had to he had to lean on the lord and 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 it was just something that wouldn't leave him and in one of those times of desperate prayer and we all know what that's like you know the prayer for deliverance from some burden that you have and and uh you're carrying something and you're praying over and over asking the lord to remove it and and it seems like the lord's not listening to you you know paul had times like that too and uh it was in during one of those times when Paul was pleading with the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh, and then he heard Jesus speak to him. Jesus speaks to us in our times of trials and our sufferings, if we'll just listen to him. And he says to Paul, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was the Lord's answer to Paul. And so, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so now Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the Lord. Now, he doesn't tell Timothy to be physically strong, because he wasn't. He doesn't tell Timothy to be emotionally strong. I mean, Timothy wasn't wired like Paul. Timothy was a different person. And yet, Paul tells Timothy to be strong. Why? Because Timothy needed strength, all right, but it was something that he couldn't drum up in himself. He needed to be strong and to continue to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is grace? Grace is God's favor on those who don't deserve his favor. And that strength that Timothy needed it was, it, was, it was not based on his abilities. it was based on God's grace. It was God's power that Timothy needed. That's how Paul could write in Philippians 4:13, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Sometimes I say, "Well, I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me, but that's not what the Scripture says. I can do all things." Through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's comforting because you don't have to be something you're not. When you and I take our weaknesses and we come to the Lord in prayer and we humbly submit ourselves to the Lord, man, he's faithful. He will enable us by his strength to accomplish an impossible task. Something that's like, man, I can't physically do it or I can't, I can't emotionally I can't hang in there. Yet by God's strength, we can do that. By God's strength, we can endure difficult situations. By God's strength, we can remain faithful when all you want to do is give up and walk away. And so this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in the Lord. And then verse 2, he says, And the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know what I like about Paul? I don't think he minded being quoted. And I don't think he cared if, if... Nobody gave him credit for it. If they just used Paul's words and they quoted it as if they were saying it, I don't think Paul cared about it. I think Timothy could plagiarize Paul all that Timothy wanted to. In fact, Paul encouraged Timothy to pass on what he learned from Paul to others. Why? Well, because it was important that Timothy not come up with his own version of the gospel. And what Paul taught Timothy, it wasn't some secret teaching that only t- he and Timothy shared. Paul taught the same things everywhere he went, among many witnesses. You know, Paul would li- write a letter to a particular church. In fact, you know, that's kind of what the, the New Testament is. It's, it's, a, it's a collection of, well, you have yeah, the Gospels, but other than that, it's a, it's a collection of letters, basically. Um, except for maybe the book of Acts. But, it, but they're letters that address situations that each of those churches had in that first century. Gnosticism rose up, and so they had to deal with Gnosticism. Someone was in an immoral relationship, and they were, yet they thought that they were everything was fine, and Paul had to address that. Christians suing one another, all these different issues in the church, legalism coming into the church. And so Paul would write a letter dealing with each of these particular situations to a particular church. But the churches took Paul's letters and they passed them around to each other so that each church could learn from it and Paul intended that his epistles be circulated among the different churches in fact in the in colossians to the church at Coloss- Colossae, he says this now when this epistle is read among you see that it is also read in the church of the laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from laodicea so you know Paul would these circulators these letters would be circulated among all the different churches. So there wasn't any secret teaching that Paul was teaching Timothy. And the early church fathers, they would write letters to each other and they would quote portions of the epistles and the gospels in their letters to each other. And this happened to be such a common and widespread practice in the early church that the results of all that plagiarism, I don't think they called it back then, then, uh, the New Testament as a result of that is one of the most well-documented collections of writings from antiquity. You know, according to Josh McDowell, today you could burn all of the New Testaments in existence in the world, and minus a few inconsequential verses, you could actually reconstruct the entire New Testament based on those letters because there's fragments of, of scripture and all these different letters and there's thousands of these letters that you could actually reconstruct minus a couple verses uh, the entire New Testament. That's how well documented the, the Bible that you're reading and you're holding your hand how well documented it is. You can trust God's word. So Paul told Timothy to commit the things that he had heard from Paul to faithful men who in turn would be able to teach others also. You know, pass the gospel on down to the next person. And he uses the word to commit the things. That word commit means to deposit as a trust. You know, each one of us has a sphere of influence. Now maybe your sphere of influence is less than others. But each of us have a sphere of of influence you might be a parent here this morning, or a grandparent. Maybe you're an uncle or an aunt or a brother or a sister. Maybe you're a teacher in some some sphere or a leader or a coach or an employer. Let me ask you this. Are you leaving a deposit of God's word with those who are in your sphere of influence? Are you, are you leaving? Are you committing them, committing with them? you know, God's Word. Maybe you're in a position where you say, well, I can't really share the gospel with people. You know, I'm in a, I, can't, I, have to, I can't bring in that kind of stuff. Well, let me ask you this. Are you having an, an impact on them for the kingdom of God in some way, shape, or form? Because we all should be. And so Paul is telling Timothy to commit to faithful men. He was to find faithful men to disciple. And so Timothy might be thinking, well, who do I find? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about faithfulness. So Timothy really wouldn't have any problem discerning who was the disciple to minister. In Nehemiah chapter 7-2, Nehemiah writes about how he gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, and he says, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. That's one sign of faithfulness. You're fearing God more than men, even in the face of persecution. Or you're fearing God more than the tide of culture. Because I don't think any of us are really persecuted in the classical sense that others around the world are. But sometimes I think we want to fit into our culture so much more than even pleasing God. And so that's one area. You're not, you're not afraid. You're more fearful of, of you want to please God more than anything else. Psalm one hundred and one six says my eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. You might say, Well, I'm not perfect. Well, that word perfect means sound, wholesome, unimpaired, innocent, having integrity. What is complete or entirely in accord with truth and fact. In other words, no double lies. Who you are in, in, in the church here is who you are at home or in the workplace. or you know, and, and in every situation, you're the same person inside as, as you are outside. You have integrity. In Luke 16, Jesus said this in verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in, in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So here's another test of faithfulness. Those who prove faithful in small things. Those who prove faithful in the area of handling money. Those who prove faithful in those things they have been given stewardship over. In fact, Paul writes in First uh, Corinthians four two. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So, so there's there's a lot of scripture that Timothy could could go on and go well. I look at that individual and I, yeah, he's faithful or she's faithful. Verse three continues, and now he's going to give Timothy some a couple of different illustrations to teach some principles. Verse three says, "You therefore must endure hardship." As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Have you ever wondered what causes a soldier to go into enemy fire? To retrieve a wounded, a fellow wounded soldier. I mean, they're they're willing to risk their lives. The, the bullets are flying, the you know the bombs are going off, and they're, yet they're willing to run right out there in harm's way to get a fallen comrade, you know, fallen buddy, and, and pull them to safety. Or you've heard of those stories of those those people, you know, those those soldiers that you know they've jumped on a live grenade and to save their platoon or whatever. Those are real stories. People really do. And you go, well, I wonder what causes. A soldier to do things like that. Well, I can tell you, I don't think it's necessarily love of country. I, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, it could be, but I don't think it is. I don't think it's to win the battle. I think what it boils down to is they have love for their fellow soldiers. Man, they want to protect their buddies who they've been around. They've, and, and, you know, Paul didn't tell Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier of the gospel. Or a good soldier of the ministry? What did he tell Timothy? He said, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, the lover of our soul, who gave his life for others. Man, if you love him who gave his life in exchange for you, what does the Bible say about love? 1 Corinthians thirteen seven. it says, Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. So be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, it's too easy to lose sight of why we minister others. You know, we can get so wrapped up in ministry, and it's the ministry. Well, no, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of what he's done for us. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. Paul writes, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. He writes to bondservants, Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. In fact, Colossians 3.23 says this, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive your, uh, the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever feel like, man, my spouse, my wife, or my husband, they just expect me to serve them all the time? Or my boss, he just wants me to serve them. They just treat me like a servant. Well, you're not serving them. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are in a battle. And there will be hardship and troubles to endure, but like a good soldier, we must endure them for the sake of our commander in chief, Jesus Christ. And so Paul uses that illustration of the good soldier, and he says, A good soldier doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. How do we get entangled in the affairs of this life? Jesus said it quite succinctly. In Luke 8:14 he says now the, he's talking about the, 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 the parable of the seeds and the sower. And there were seeds that, that fell among the thorns. He says, "Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. We can get so entangled in the affairs of life that, that we're no longer serving the Lord. we're serving ourselves. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, he said this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now later in this letter, Paul's going to relate to Timothy that he has been left... All alone there in prison in Rome, and Demas is one of those who had been a soldier, who had gotten entangled in the affairs of this life. And in Second Timothy four ten, he says, "Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica." And that's really that's a challenge for all of us, I think, especially in our culture. If, you, if we lived in a third world country where there was less things that we have, you know, I think maybe maybe we'd have different challenges. But I think one of the biggest challenges we have here is being entangled in the affairs of this life, falling in love with this world. Why? Because we have so much here. We're so blessed here in this in this country and in this culture. So for us, this is really this is really a challenge for us as believers. Peter warns about those who get entangled in the affairs of this life in his epistle. And 2 Peter 2.20 says, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter, latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Why? Well, because they've already had the knowledge of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. And now it's not ignorance. Now it's willful rebellion. and so much worse. And so after giving Timothy the illustration of a soldier he now gives another illustration that of an athlete and Paul in his letters he's he's used lots of examples of athletics in verse 5 he says this and also if anyone competes in athletics he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules you know sometimes Paul uses the illustration of boxing he's used the illustration of wrestling and running a foot race these were all competitions that took place at the Is, I'm going to pr- pronounce it funny the Isthmian Games <laughs> uh, by the Isthmists of Corinth. I'm sorry, I'm struggling there. <laughs> Those games were held biannually just outside of Corinth. Now, I was doing a little research on these games, the Isthmian Games. I, I'm pronouncing them funny, but um, and I was looking at Nelson's. Um, I've got this book. It's called Nelson's New Illustrated Bi- Bible Manners and Customs. And you can, you, know, you can go through it, and it tells you about what the warfare was like, the culture was like, the food was like. It's an interesting book from, from those times. And he, they, I came across this, and I just kind of jumped out at me. It says, Ministers who paint glowing pictures of the Isthmian games in their sermons on Paul or First Corinthians often do not realize how corrupt and degraded Greek athletics were during Paul's lifetime. And they were no more degraded than at Isthmia professionalism had taken over with plenty of quackery in training and dieting. Sounds like there's a lot of cheating going on. Maybe there was doping, and if they could dope somehow in their, their culture or whatever. You know, there was, there was things, they were, cutting, they were cutting corners, they were cheating to try to win these, these competitions. And Paul says here, don't expect to win a crown if you don't compete according to the rules. And there are Christians who don't compete according to the rules. And what I mean by that, there are Christians who selectively obey God's commands and principles while ignoring other ones. And they excuse the way their sin with statements like, well, you know, my situation's unique. It's, it's, just, it's different. I understand God, but it's different. My situation is different. Or God knows my heart. Well, just like the athlete, we need to compete according to the rules. And then Paul switches to yet another illustration, that of the hard-working farmer. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the, cro- of the crops. You know, Paul, uh, I don't think he boasted in himself. In fact, he writes that several times. At some point, he calls himself the least of the apostles. He calls himself, he says, I'm not even worthy to call myself an apostle. So when Paul makes this statement that I'm about to read in 1 Corinthians 15, understand this, he's not coming from a point of pride, but he is being truthful. He says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. But then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul could talk about the hardworking farmer because Paul was like the hardworking farmer. He worked harder than most people around him. But he freely admits it wasn't him, but the grace of God working in him. And Paul, you know, he didn't just work for a short time in ministry and then backed off. You know, having, having started this church plant back in, well, around 1999, was basically we started as a Bible study and kind of went from there. And uh, there were other guys in the Midwest that had started Calvary Chapels the same time. We, we all knew each other, and I still know them and stuff. Uh, and some of them, they worked really, really hard. And then, and then all of a sudden, it's like, next thing you know, they're out of ministry. They've, they've gone, done whatever. They're gone. you know. And it's, you know, it's easy to work hard for a short period of time. It's a lot harder to remain faithful and to keep working. And 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 in year year in and year out in season and out of season, um, to do those things, Paul wasn't like that. Paul worked his entire life. In fact, he worked up until the time of his imprisonment was in Rome. Uh, this when he's writing this letter, and even as he writes this letter, you know, you think you're in jail, you're chained, and you're in a dungeon. Is that, that's it, man. My ministry's on hold. Woe is me. Here I am. Paul wasn't like that. Paul didn't cease praying night and day for Timothy. And if those of you who have labored in prayer day and night, you know that that's not easy. That's work. It's work. It's it's, it's a struggle against your own flesh many times, and it's also spiritual warfare. And so even in prison, Paul was laboring there. And so Paul uses the illustration of the hardworking farmer. You know, to produce a crop a farmer does need to work hard, right? They've got to prepare the soil. They've got to plant the seed. And then comes harvest time. And if the farmer is lazy during any of those times, he can't expect a good harvest. And when it's time to work, you have to work until the job is done. I mean, I I love Dan. Dan's a farmer in our fellowship. And when it's planting season, Dan's not around here too often because when it's planting season... He's got to get it in. He's got to get those seeds in. He's got that window of opportunity. He has to take the weather into account. It's the time of the season. He can't procrastinate or, or be lazy or say, you know, I'll get to it maybe next week or something. No. Now's the time to work. i got to work. And so he works until the job's done. And that's what a hardworking farmer does if you want to have a crop. If you expect to have a crop, you have to work hard. You can't procrastinate. You know Jesus in John 4:35 said this he's speaking to his disciples and he says do you not say there are still 4 months and then comes the harvest hey we got 4 more months then we'll start working hard he says behold i say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest and he, who receives, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. You know, as spiritual sowers and reapers, because we're all involved in, in the work of the gospel, not just the pastor, we're all of us. And some of us might have a time of sowing seeds. Some of us might get that, that wonderful opportunity of reaping. A harvest, that, that's a beautiful thing when you can lead someone to, uh, in prayer to the Lord. But we're all in, you know, and some people water. They're encouraging people and they're they are just sharing the word with people and building up people. And we're all should be involved in that in some some form, way, shape, or form in some part of that process. But we can't sit back and figure, well, you know what, I'll wait to get involved later on. Because Jesus says to his church and he's saying to us this morning, lift up your eyes, look around. The harvest is already white. It's already ready. And then he says this, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You know, he needs to feed himself. He can't give out what he has not received. And that's so true in ministry. You You can't give out unless you yourself are being fed. And he also needs to produce fruit as well. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul writes this. He says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, we're in ministry. Pastors, everybody in ministry, we have to produce fruit. We have to be fed in order to give out to others. Verse 7, Paul writes, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. You know, what he means by that is just think on these things. Meditate on these things. Not like Middle Eastern meditation where you empty your mind and go, oh, you know, it's not like that. It, meditating, you're you're ruminating, you're thinking, you're dwelling, you're chewing on God's word, you're pondering it, you're 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 having it going over and over in your heart and in your mind. And so Paul says, Hey, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all these things. You know, the soldier, the illustration of the soldier who endures hardship and doesn't get entangled in the affairs of this life. How do you apply that in your own life? The athlete who competes according to the rules of the competition. Think it over, consider it. How do, you, how do, how, how does that, how do I fit into that? How does it apply to me? The hardworking farmer who often goes without credit, working behind the scenes. Because really, you, you think about it, you know. We have famous athletes. We have famous soldiers. Does anybody know a famous farmer? <laughs> we don't know, right? They work hard behind the scenes, and yet they probably work harder than most of these guys. Who's that? Dan's a famous farmer. Old McDonald, okay, I guess there's one. Huh? Didn't realize that, okay. <laughs> but you know, the farmer has to work hard in season and then he has to patiently wait for the harvest. So you take these and ponder these things Timothy, pray over them, ruminate on them, think about how does the Lord want you to apply that in your own life? We should be doing that with all the scriptures that we read. As Timothy considered these things and then he went to the Lord to seek understanding, the Lord would reveal the application to him. You know, it's a promise in Scriptures. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you seek him, he'll let you find him. If you seek wisdom, he'll give it to you. Verse 8, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. You know, don't get so busy working, Timothy, and enduring, Timothy, and competing according to the rules, Timothy, that you lose sight of why you're working, why you're enduring, and why you're competing. You're doing it for Jesus, who rose from the dead. You know, we serve the living Christ. And you know, during Paul's first imprisonment, I mentioned it earlier, he had been chained to a Roman guard, but he was free to receive visitors at his own rented home. I, I kind of think it's kind of like maybe the, the first century version of a home detention bracelet, you know? You're stuck at home, you can't go anywhere. Um, and so they even had that in that day, only it was a Roman guard. Um, Paul, in that situation, was much more free to continue his ministry. In fact, I can't imagine that that guard did not come to faith at Christ at some point. Can you imagine being chained to Paul day in and day out? It'd be like being chained to Billy Graham day in and day out. Eventually, you're going to repent of your sins, you're going to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be Lord and Savior. Well, with his rearrest, he was chained once more, but I don't know that he was chained to a guard this time. He could have been just chained to a wall and and really by himself there in this dungeon, no longer free to move about. But listen, he still managed by God's grace to write this letter to Timothy. How he did it, how it got out, I, I, I don't know. But we have that letter right here, his prison letter, and Paul was chained, but God's word was not chained. You know, sometimes you may feel hampered. Maybe you're in a, a work situation, you're unable to freely share the gospel, or you just feel like yeah, I, I just I, my hands are tied. I can't really, in this situation, share God's word. Well, God's word is not chained, and it never will be. And I, I just, I just encourage you to seek the Lord on how you can. How you can still share the word. Because there's ways you can still share the word with people without just quoting a scripture verse to them. There's ways to minister to people. And each, I think everybody's application is, is unique in that situation. Verse 10 Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, Paul loved Jesus first and foremost. But when you and I love Jesus first and foremost, that love for Jesus will translate into a love for those whom Christ loves and whom he died for, for the sake of the elect. And Paul would gladly endure any afflictions if it meant that they would put their trust in Christ for their salvation. Man, do we have that attitude this morning? Now I'll endure anything. I'll endure a tough situation as long as it leads someone to Christ. As long as God can use my life in a way to minister to that, I can have an impact on somebody. You know, the more we love Jesus, the more we will have his heart of compassion for the lost, because true compassion springs from a heart of love with God. Verse 11 This is a faithful saying For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Paul says if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. You know, this isn't an abstract idea that Paul is just, you know, it's something I heard in Sunday school. No, no, Paul is facing death. He's fully aware of that. And so this isn't an abstract idea. This is a faithful saying that he's clinging to and pinning his hopes on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he'll be resurrected from the dead. It's also true metaphorically that the more you and I die to ourselves and die to this life, the more we're going to experience the abundant life in Christ. If we endure with him, excuse me, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Jesus told the church at Smyrna, Revelation 2.10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Just be faithful, endure, persevere. And then he says, if we deny him, we will one day be denied before the Father. And then finally, if we are faithless, he remains faithful He cannot deny himself. Man, that is so freeing to me. God's nature doesn't change based on my actions. It's not based on my faith. In fact, someone could say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in his promises. It doesn't matter. That doesn't change things. God is still faithful. What a blessing that is for each one of us. We're going to stop there, and we'll pick up the rest of this chapter next week. But I hope you're encouraged this morning. I would encourage you... In your time, maybe spend some time with the Lord and, and just go through the scriptures and just ask the Lord, Lord, show me. How, how can I apply this in my own life? How can I be an impact on other people? How can I love you more, you know, live for you more? Why don't you stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you for Timothy. Uh, Lord, we know that from history that he was faithful. And, Lord, that he eventually died a martyr's death. Lord, we thank you for Paul. Lord, Paul, who encouraged Timothy. And, Lord, we can read this letter. And, Lord, if we would be honest, we would admit that there are times when we're fearful. That there are times when we're timid. When there's times where, Lord, we want to give up and we just need to persevere. And we need to be strong, not in ourselves but in the strength that you provide. Lord, I pray that that verse from Philippians, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Lord, that that would be true of each one of us. Lord, that we would put our trust fully in you and depend on you. And so, Lord, I just thank you for the reminders this morning. I pray your blessing upon each and every person this coming week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.